This morning we are taking a break from our Sermon on the Mount series for obvious reasons. We will be looking at a resurrection passage and we'll be looking at Luke 24. If you have your Bible or electronic device or if, you're, if you haven't memorized, that's fine as well. We will start at verse 13 and go through 34. And as you're turning there, um, just a few things to say. One, this is actually a post-resurrection story. It's one of the stories where Jesus reveals himself. And it's also one of the longest uh, actual stories in Luke. So uh, the bad news for you is that Abby Seaman is not here to read it. Uh, That was the goal. So you don't get her wonderful British voice. You get my allergy-struggling American Oklahoman voice. So I'm going to read the longest story from Luke in a minute. Uh, by the way, be praying for Abby. She has, as you know, she's pregnant and she has a little fever and is just, uh, just to pray that she would heal and, and get better soon and not have any major complications. Um, so as we look at Luke 24, uh, one other note, it's the walk, it's the road to Emmaus, not Emmaus, Emmaus. And I remember years ago hearing of a, of a group that did the walk to Emmaus, kind of a discipleship program. Uh, it's a very popular passage. But I titled the sermon, and I think the way I want us to understand this, is The Run from Emmaus. So as we look at this, I want us to pay attention to the fact that when we understand the resurrection, we run. right? We, we are driven by Christ. So let's, uh, if you would not mind standing then for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 24, again starting in verse 13. That very day, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were walking, or while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened, and moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. 
when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were there with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what, they had, what had happened to them on the road and how it was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. For the Gospel, we thank You for the resurrection. But we confess, if we're honest this morning, most of us do not know what to do with the resurrection. We believe it. Many of us believe it desperately. But Lord, sometimes maybe it loses its zip. And we get our eyes focused on ourselves and our problems. So we pray this morning that Your Spirit would be here, opening our eyes to see the beauty of the resurrection and the way it actually affects us even today. In Your name we pray. Amen. I've heard many Easter sermons, but one that stands out I heard probably when I was around 11 at a church in Edmond. Um, It was a Baptist church in Edmond. And it's still a Baptist church in Edmond. So it's now the biggest church in Edmond. And the pastor did a really great job defending and proving what the resurrection. At least to me, I already believed in it, so I didn't have a lot, you know, a lot to, to, to get me to believe. But the details he gave, the, the information he gave, just really intrigued me. And that was sort of, in my mind, what I kind of consider Easter sermons to be like. You know, you, People are showing up, and this is my opportunity to talk to guests and say, let me tell you, why you should believe the gospel. Not, to, not that guests don't believe Jesus. I know you're visiting from other churches. But what I realized as I've grown since then and thought about it, often it's really the disciples. It's really all of us, and again, all believers in the room, who forget the resurrection. We really do. And then when you come to this passage, I was drawn to this passage in Luke for this week's discussion because of the nature of his discussion. That I want you to know if you are visiting Uh, or if you are a regular attender but you're not a Christian, the gospel is for you and the resurrection is beautiful. But if you come here every week and you walk with Jesus and you're like these two disciples, you know, you've given your life to him, let's admit together, let's confess together that sometimes our eyesight is dampened. That sometimes the beauty of the resurrection has lost its touch. And so there's a fog that settles in. And my hope would be that by looking at this passage, maybe freshly we could understand the resurrection has power for our lives even today. So let's jump into that. And it's a story, so we're just going to go through this story and pull out these details and why I say what I've said already. Um, we begin with this idea, these two disciples are walking out of Jerusalem. Here's the background. It's Holy Week. Okay? All of these disciples have come in to celebrate the Passover. Jews have come to Jerusalem from all over Israel. And usually, many of them will have to stay in communities kind of right around there. So this might not, these two disciples might not have lived in Emmaus, but they were staying there. We're not really sure who the two disciples even were. We know that one was Cleopas. We don't know the other. Some scholars would say maybe it was his wife Mary. Maybe this is another person mentioned in another gospel, and it's a husband and wife, and that's why it's not mentioned. 
The other option might be, another extreme would be that it's Luke himself, the evangelist who wrote the Gospel of Luke. It does, that seems to be um, a possibility as well, but here's what we know. Both of these people, whether they were both men or not, were with the disciples. And they were with them, uh, with many of these accounts, and they knew what was happening, and now they're walking away. And Jesus chooses to show himself to them almost first. I don't know what order it all happens in, but it's amazing because he shows himself to them and they have no idea who he is. And there's a lot of people, I mean, you wonder, was it just dark? Was it, uh, did he change his features? Was his post-resurrection body different? We know that John the Baptist could feel his wounds, so it's hard to understand. But really what the scriptures tell us is that they just didn't see it because of spiritual blindness. There was an unbelief going on. And that's where I want us to understand that I think the first question that I want us to wrestle with is, are you in a fog like these guys? I'm going to call them guys, even if one was a girl. Are you in a fog? Because they're in a fog. When I first heard this story, I would have said, oh, here's why they're in a fog. They don't realize Jesus rose from the dead. Right? So now they're going to hear for the first time that Jesus rose from the dead. It's going to change everything about them. But if you remember the story, Jesus says, what is this conversation you're having? And they say, Do you know, are you the only one that doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem? Kind of irony. It's a beautiful story because we, the listeners, have information they don't have. That's really cool. And this irony of Jesus is the only one that knows what happened in Jerusalem. He's like, you don't know what happened in Jerusalem. But he didn't say that. He was kind. He says, what things? It's a great way to get people to talk. You tell me what you know. And they began to share the gospel. If you have your Bible, look at verses uh, 19 and 20. Here's what they say. Jesus of Nazareth, he's a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and people. He was delivered by chief priests and rulers, so he's crucified. And in verse 21, we had hoped that this person would be the one that saved Israel, right? That would redeem Israel. And besides all of that, on the third day, check out what happened, he says, this person talking to Jesus, that these women went to the tomb and it was empty. Okay, right there you might say, yeah, but they don't know he's alive. Well, but the women were told by these angels that he had risen. And but, but it's fascinating that they have all this information. This is the message they're telling Jesus, but go all the way back up to verse... Um, or early, I mean, just find it early on when he says, and they stood, yeah, verse 17, and they stood there looking sad. Now, does that strike you as interesting? I, I have a feeling that what we do to overcome our own lack of enthusiasm about something is we just act excited. You drive down the street, there's that billboard, Jesus saves! How many of you go, hallelujah! We're just like, huh. I mean, right? Um, we, so we try to, even on Easter morning, we're all sort of trying to do that with the resurrection. He is risen, you know, we're all yelling back and forth, but we're kind of like, that's pretty important, right? I mean, I think, right? And I want us to be honest. It is important, but let's, if it is so important, why are we not moved by it more? There's a book by a man named Francis Schaeffer, our own dear Abby's grandfather, by the way, if you didn't know. Uh, wrote this book. This was kind of his breakout uh, explaining his story. And his story goes something like this. He had been a pastor for 10 years. 
And fundamentally, he never changed his beliefs. He believed everything he had taught. But he became bothered by the fact that he said there was very little evidence of any of this in his own life or people around him. And he goes on to explain. He says, um, and his, you can read it in the preface here, that we were living in Champeray at the time, and I told Edith that for the sake of honesty, that's his wife, I had to go all the way back to my agnosticism and think through the whole matter. And I'm sure that this was difficult for her, and so many prayers came. And then he goes on to say, as I searched through the Bible and what it said concerning the reality of a, as a Christian, gradually I saw the problem was that with all the teaching I had received after I was a Christian, I had heard little about what the Bible says about the meaning of the finished work of Christ in our present lives. And when you think about the Gospel, almost always we present it in such a way as to say, you go from being a non-Christian to a Christian, hallelujah, now you're sort of on your own. Here's some tools, here's some disciplines, here's some things to fix your problems, you know, and then when you die, hallelujah, again you go to heaven. But we really struggle with that intermediate time, what we call our lives as a Christian life, sanctification. And yet, that is the point where the resurrection means the most. Right? This is where we live out of it in, the present, in our present reality. And so for Schaefer, that was a huge turning point for him, but it began with honesty. And I just hope that maybe we as Christians, as we come to Easter, will be honest with ourselves. Does the resurrection mean something today? Do we get it, or are we wearing these blinders? So we have these spiritual blinders in this story. At first, they have no idea who this person is, and they proceed to do all the talking, right? But as we go a little bit further, if you look at verse 25, Jesus begins to reveal himself, okay? And he does so very uh, very um, intensely, right? Oh, foolish ones. I don't think I've ever said that to anybody in like a one-on-one. You know, Ryan, here's what's going on. Oh, you foolish person. And that was our last meeting. I've never seen them again. Um but Jesus can get away with it because they were foolish. He says, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Here's what he's saying. For these men, it appears that they could have Jesus dying on a cross and raising again from the dead, and it doesn't mean anything because they were expecting a winner. They wanted a winner. They wanted Jesus to roll into town and redeem Israel. Maybe they didn't have a clear picture of it, but dying wasn't part of it. And so the fact that maybe he disappeared and maybe he's alive again just doesn't seem to play into any sense of their view of the gospel at all. It wasn't like they were waiting around to hear if he really rose again. It was more likely that they just didn't see how that mattered. What's the issue? They don't know the problem. So Jesus has to then teach them of their need. Jesus has to then open the Scriptures. He didn't open scrolls and roll them out. He knows it. He has it memorized. He's brilliant. And he begins to teach them. And there was one commentator that said, and I would agree, that this would be the wonder, probably one of the top places of all of the Bible to go back and just observe. If you could go back and pick a place, this would be the most, I would love to have heard what he said to them. Because they respond that their hearts were burning in their chest. But what he does, I can't do it, I can't tell you what he said exactly, but what he's primarily telling them about is that all the way back in Moses, you start with the sin and this fall and this problem. It's like a story. 
And we talk a lot about this story here at Grace. We think it's very important to tie the Old Testament with the New Testament into one story because that's what the Bible does. And I think a lot of people that teach the Bible pick and choose verses and things. And what happens is we begin to lose sight of the, the big picture, the creation, the fall, sin, redemption, and final glory, and how Jesus fixes that. And so if you don't know how big of a problem you have, then you don't know how big of a Savior you have. And so he goes back and says, let me explain. And as he goes through all of, the, all of Genesis and Exodus and explains, he is the Lamb. He is the one that takes away the sins of the world. You go after a spotless lamb and sacrifice it, and that's what you just celebrated at the Passover. You needed one from outside to come in who is spotless. And he's going through and explaining how the whole Old Testament points to him. And it begins to burn in them. that all of a sudden, there is something connected to that story that makes sense to them. Do you find your life connected to that story? Are we getting stuck thinking that Christianity is this sort of thing over there on the shelf, and then my life is all of these pressures and burdens and issues I have right now? Or are we seeing everything about our life as being a fallout of sin? When pastors bring up the word sin, and it's like the sixth time I've done it, I think each time you're, we wince, and we kind of, you know, it's like you're taking punches to the body in a, in a boxing match. Like, oh, Ryan, we much prefer the word shortcoming. It's much easier. I love the word sin because I think, unfortunately, I see a lot of it in my heart. I see a lot of the effects of the fall in my community and in my life. And it encourages me that I have a Savior who pursues me even in light of that reality. Is that the Savior you believe in? Is that what you believe? Or are you looking for a Savior that makes us a winner and who doesn't ever need anything? That is the Gospel message that Jesus had to suffer these things, he tells them. He had to take on all of that. He had to have that applied to him. Years ago, I was playing uh, a game of chess. I love chess. I'm not that great at it. Um, I play speed chess, which makes me really bad at chess. Um, but this is years ago, and I still played slow chess with people. And this friend of mine, who's much smarter but much newer to the game, was playing with me. And um, I had him. Was all. If you don't know chess... You, the king's the most important piece, right? But you never touch the king, really. It's the queen. The queen's like your Navy SEAL. You know, that's the one that can do it all, okay? And so the queen is amazing. Well, he left his queen wide open, and I proceeded to take her out. I had won the game. I probably even stood up and said something like, you lost your queen. I mean, it's over. He had a little bit of a grin on his face, and in three moves I was checkmated. The queen sacrificed. Darn it, I never heard of this. It's still, even, even since then, you still feel like, I don't want to play a game where I lose my queen in order to win. It feels wrong. It feels backwards. That's what Jesus does. Jesus is saying, you want to win? I've got to die. It has to happen this way. He says it over and over to the disciples, and they just kind of smile and nod and go on to the next thing they're doing, and they don't understand it. And even these two guys are walking away with news that maybe he even rose from the grave. And they're just like, it doesn't make any sense. And unfortunately for us, we've heard all of this before, so we just think, oh, they just don't know, they don't know what we know. That's, that's the problem. But that's not the truth. We, don't, we also don't know it. If your Christian life is sort of stunted, if you're like Schaefer, thinking, 
you know, I don't see people changing. I don't see my own heart changing. I don't see sin patterns going away. I don't, I don't see sanctification happening. I don't feel the fruit of the Spirit growing in me. Right? Maybe we don't believe the Gospel. The good news is that it's still true. But maybe we're not placing our hope in Jesus. We're placing our hope in our abilities to improve. In our steps to get better and better. And so, when Jesus goes back and tells them all that's true about them and about Him in the Old Testament, He's saying, let me invite you into the story. Is this your story? And then, amazingly, He has to depart. And they say, no, 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 stay for dinner. So even though He called them fools, they liked Him. So they invite Him in to dinner, and He becomes the one. Usually the host of the table blesses the meal, but Jesus does. He's earned this authority they don't know who he is. They're getting closer. They went from having no idea who he was and kind of thinking he was out to lunch. You know, you don't know what happened in Jerusalem. So all of a sudden, they're listening to him. They think he's an amazing teacher, wise. Who knows what they would call him at that point. And now they're sitting at a meal with him, and he breaks the bread, and he blesses it. And they eat the bread. And at that moment, they get it. What happened? What happened there? Is that just kind of neat? Or is there something about the fact that the Christian gospel teaches this radical thing that we have to feast on Jesus? That we have to be united to Him. He's not just a role model. He's not just someone we say we believe in. He's not just someone we check off, yeah, He rose from the dead. He has to be in you. I mean, do we believe that's true? And what does that mean? You're not long later, there's another guy who is Jewish who is persecuting the church, Saul. And Saul sees Jesus not post-resurrection only, but post-ascension. So Jesus, after 40 days, goes up into the heavens, right? And, and Saul of Tarsus sees him after that point, after he's also persecuted the church, after he oversees the stoning of Stephen. And Jesus shows up to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting those that follow me? Leave them alone. They're trying to do their best. They're following me. No. Me. They're one and the same. The people who Saul is after in Jesus is a me. There's union. Saul is converted. And I want to read a few lines from what he says in Romans 6 about the resurrection. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. And Shane said that a minute ago earlier. He said, you have to have Good Friday before you have the resurrection. You have to have the death first. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When I hear that, when you hear that, either there's joy or there's burden. Let me encourage you, if there's burden, it's because you think Jesus is saying, or Paul is telling you, you have to do this. Okay, here's the information. Now you go out and walk in newness of life. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, all of your attempts at walking in newness of life fail. You need to rest in Jesus. You will take over and you will walk in newness of life. When you die with Him and are raised with Him, Paul goes on, 
For if we have been united with Him in death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In Galatians, he talks about this same concept about enslavement to sin, and he talks about two prisons. The prison sort of of paganism when the Galatians, before they knew anything of God or Jesus, but also the prison of being pharisaical. The prison of, he says, why would you walk out of one prison and into the other? And here's my conviction. This is not about salvation. If you know Jesus and you believe you're a Christian, this is not a, I'm not wanting to cause any doubt there. Right? If you know you know Jesus, and you're, but your walk is stunted, I'm not saying maybe you're not a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying it's possible to be a Christian and you're sitting in a jail cell and your jail door is open and there's no more guard walking around, but you just sit there anyway. Or maybe you walked out of that jail cell and into the one next to it and it's legalism. And you learn how to put the suit on and put the smile on and do the disciplines and do all the things that make you look great, but you're living in a prison because you're not doing it on Jesus, for Jesus, by Jesus. What is this freedom he's talking about? It's dying to the ways of this world. It's dying to the elemental principles of the world and living in Christ. And continuing in Romans 6.8, he says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Sometimes when I read that, when I contemplate this, it's just too much. It's too much. Because what we want, and what most of you probably want right now for a good preacher to do, is give me my three points. What are the three little things I do with this? Well, die to yourself. right? Live to Christ and change the world. I mean, that's the Gospel. And when we are set free by Him, we will rise and we will go out and live, but it's an ongoing daily thing. Repentance and faith. Daily dying and being raised again. Not that those things are actually happening freshly every day, but we have to believe it freshly every day. What happens when we don't repent and don't start freshly with the Gospel is we begin to live on our own behaviors. We begin to live on our own efforts. We begin to think what we did was good. And sometimes we might look at yesterday's repentance and say how good that was. Yesterday I really had a great time with Jesus, and so we're riding that wave. But like Luther said about the Gospel, it's like catching fish. You better catch them fresh every day. They get rotten very quickly. Do you believe this? Last night we were flipping channels and uh, we came across a brand new show called In an Instant. If anyone caught that? Um, oh, it's like my worst nightmare. This guy, he's in a grain elevator, which I've never even been in one. I think I saw a horror movie once that had this thing happen. But the guy's like in a grain elevator and his dad's like looking down into the grain elevator and he's got this helmet thing on, and he's just trying to get the thing to start moving so the grain will go down. He's like 40 feet in the air, and then for those of you that are farmers, I guess there's an auger that takes it into the 18-wheeler. And Anyway, so the dad climbs down and leaves. The kid's still, you know, he's like a 20-year-old, but he's still doing his thing, and he starts to sink. And it's all this, it's corn. It's not grain, but whatever. Um, maybe that's a type of grain. Anyway, And he goes under, and you're just, panicking. I'm just like, ah! You know? What do you have, like 42 seconds to live? And he's under. And the dad's driving a semi down the road. And then he like looks back and you can see, you know, this is all reenactment. 
Um, and he, oh, I don't see him coming out. So he calls, you know, by, pretty soon he starts calling this other farm hand who goes up and kind of looks and comes back down. And, and like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, the dad's like an hour down the road. Have you heard anything? And the kid is stuck in this grain for like three or four hours. And he lives. And when they get, and that's the beauty of the show, you know he's going to make it. So even though you're panicking and having like phobias, you're like, I think he, he's, gonna, he's being interviewed. He must survive. Um, he, but he, they just show him like in this helmet, like all the things he's thinking, and he comes out, and it's really amazing because I, I what, what I was thinking about was, I want to know what you did next. Like, what was the first thing you did the next day, the next hour? You know, don't you think that for a while this happened in 2013? Unfortunately, it's probably wearing off. But for a while, don't you think he was like, I can breathe. You know, I'm, a, I'm alive. Now, probably about two weeks later, it's like, you know, that, you've used that excuse enough, you know, go back to work. But um, I think that for him, retelling that story, reliving the anguish and the freedom has to revive him. That's what the gospel does for us. We are revived. We are alive. Do you believe it? Not just that Jesus rose and you're sad, like these guys. That Jesus rose, fed you His body and His blood. You have been brought into union with Him. You can no longer die. That's what Paul talks about. Christians don't die, they fall asleep. But most of our lives are bent on thinking about our death. Bad things happening to us, avoiding bad issues, avoiding financial ruin and disease. We're living by the flesh. And the message that Jesus gives us is you are risen. Live like it.